So tonight, I'd like to talk about the seven, the, the second of the seven factors of awakening, investigation. But before I do that, you know, when you go to the movies, before you see the, the, the main movie, they show you previews of the movies to come. A few pure previews, like they're not previews exactly, just a few words about being on retreat, being on retreat. It's the second day of retreat. Many of you have gone through the swamps of yesterday, the sleepiness, the, the fogginess, and all of that. And um, so being on retreat, being on retreat. I was recently, very recently, teaching the March month long at, uh, uh, at Spirit Rock. So imagine what you're doing for a week, other people doing for one month, or actually two months, um, practicing in silence for two months, and the, the team changes. Uh, there's a February retreat and the March retreat, but some, uh, some yogis, some lucky yogis sit the whole two months. So I was teaching the March month long. And um, one of my co-teachers, uh, Anushka Fernandapul, had uh, came up during the retreat in this wonderful acronym that she shared during one of her teachings, and I liked it so much that I like to, to share that with you. Of course, giving her credit where it's due. And um, the teaching, which should become part of the canon, it's not yet, the Pali canon, but it should become part of the Pali canon, the acronym is CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R. So we'll start backwards. We'll start with the R. The R stands for renunciation. It's renunciation, letting go, letting go, being simple. And that's what you're doing, being here on retreat. There's a lot of renunciation that happens. And taking that on as a practice is actually another level. Really taking that practice of renunciation on for a week. You know, you don't get to choose really what you eat. Food is prepared for you. It's laid in front of you. You don't so much choose so many things. You don't choose your schedule so much. You know, you're, you're giving yourself... You. You, you give yourself to, you, re, you do re, an act of loving renunciation to what is offered here. The room that is offered, it's simple. Renunciation, it's a practice. Take it on for a week, lovingly, not grudgingly. Notice if it's grudging. Oh, can you have renunciation towards that, towards that grudge that you're holding? So, renunciation, re, letting go, letting go of expectations, letting go of expectations of what re this retreat maybe or may not be renunciation r and there is the i which could be investigation or interest investigation i'll talk about tonight a lot and interest zest so i'll save that one because that will be the whole talk the a stands for arriving 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 in each and every moment. You might find that the mind will wander, will be planning, will be going here and there. It's okay. Just accept. Accept that you're arriving every moment. 
arriving every moment. Just keep arriving, keep arriving. The A can also stand for acceptance, accepting that arriving, accepting what is. It's that attitude of equanimity. And acceptance is not giving up. And I'll talk more about that actually at the last talk when I talk about equanimity and letting go. Acceptance, accepting what is. The H stands for humility, having humility about this practice, not letting the mind feel at, oh, it, it just, it knows it all. It's already been there, done that. It knows, yeah, it knows what to expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humility, beginner's mind, meeting it for the very first time, the don't know mind, that fresh mind that's, that's ready to learn that wants to, to really learn instead of, no. It's this, this old story of, of if you have a teacup and if there is, there is tea in it already, if it's already filled with tea, perhaps cold, stale tea, you can't put any fresh tea in it. It's good to have humility and pour it out and let it be filled fresh as if for the first time, as if this is your first retreat, as if this is the first time you have sat on the cushion. Curious, curiosity with investigation. The H also stand for honesty, being completely honest with yourself and also with us as your guides. Being honest with yourself about what's happening and what's not happening it's all okay. It's part of this human experience. It's not just you. I can guarantee you, it's not just you. So being really honest with yourself and bringing that honesty also to the practice meetings so that we can really explore and honestly be able to support your practice where it really is, not making it sound any better or worse or, or anything, just complete honesty. Just being human, all human. And the C of chair stands for continuity. And this is a good time towards the end of this day, second day, to bring in the concept of continuity. It's really important in building momentum. What is continuity? Continuity is that your retreat started when you arrived and will end when you leave. Everything in the middle is practice. It's not just your sits. As Matthew was saying when the bell rings, like, okay, I'm done, okay, finished now. It's walking time, I go chill and hang out and I'll go to my room. Oh, the room, oh, that's the best place to just chill out. I can close the door and just be completely unmindful, let it just go to pieces. Not exactly. Notice what happens. It's all the continuity. And what allows the continuity of attention, of the mindfulness, is that the mindfulness isn't forced. It doesn't, 
it's not like this. It's like it's like this. You're just holding it gently, and you can carry this. If I if I carry this, I could carry this for a long time. But I was like clutching to it, like being really mindful of it. It would be really really hard. So so notice the level of of effort that you're bringing into your practice. Gentle, kind, holding gently, and throughout, as you're getting up from the cushion continuity as you're going out getting a cup of tea opening the lid mindfully taking the little spatula thing mindfully putting the tea in closing it just all of that is practice the hot water oh is the the handle hot or is the handle cold of the hot water thing what is it have you have you noticed be curious as you're walking out every step Opening the handle, the, the touching the handle of the door. Is it cold? Is it warm? Is it hard? Does it creak? Every moment can be your practice. Continuity, just gentle continuity. You go out. You're walking. You hear the birds. Mm, hearing, hearing, seeing, seeing. Continuity. That's how the practice builds momentum. And in fact, many of the insights happen not necessarily on the cushion here but while you're walking while you're getting tea while you're brushing your teeth while you're going to the bathroom while you're doing your yogi job all of that then you see because the mind has that momentum it's not checkout time it's momentum and it's sweet it's not forceful don't let this feel like oh my god mindful all the time it's actually sweet it becomes joyous just this continuity this it's like you'll be swimming in it you'll be swimming in the dharma it, it's actually fun check it out for yourself don't take my word for it so chair continuity humility honesty Arrival, acceptance, I, investigation, interest, and R for renunciation. Renunciation. There's a lot more that could be said for all, for all of these. And see if there's one that speaks to you. And you can take that with you. You can carry that with you throughout the day as your intention. For the rest of the day, perhaps, as your intention. might be renunciation. It might be arrival, might be acceptance, or any of the other ones. Or perhaps it's investigation, which now we'll talk about. So, the factor of investigation Dhamma vichaya, investigation of dhammas, investigation of how things are, the natural unfolding. So investigation, the, se- the second of the seven awakening factors, um, it's quite dear to my heart, this one especially. Um, so as some of you know, my adult career has been as a scientist as a researcher, as a scientist, and the investigation, that curiosity, that um, asking questions has been a huge part of my life. Um, It comes very naturally to me. I'm like a perennial four-year-old with my friends and family. 
that feeling of curiosity. Claude Levi-Strauss, the anthropologist, said, the scientist is not a person who gives the right answers. He is one who asks the right questions. And you're all scientists. Guess what? You're all scientists of your own mind on this retreat. You are doing first-person exploration, scientific research on the nature of your own mind. How cool is that? You're the expert of your own mind, the scientist of your own mind. So in this talk, I'd like to, to talk about what investigation is, what it isn't, how it relates to the other factors, and how to apply it to our practice. So first, I want to talk about how it relates to the other factors. <clears throat> so just to review the factors, the first one is mindfulness or sati, and Matthew talked about last night, investigation, Dhamma-vichaya that I talk about tonight. There's energy, virya, joy or rapture, PT, relaxation or calm, also known as pasadi or tranquility. Then there's concentration or unification of the mind, samadhi, and the last is equanimity, upekka. So I talked the first night about how they're taught um, as flowing into one another naturally and how the first three are more um, intentional, intentionally cultivated and how the rest can follow and yet all of them can be cultivated so I want to bring that in definitely so all seven can be cultivated so the distinction I want to make is that all seven, when you notice their absence or their presence in the mind, when you notice, for example, whether there's equanimity in the mind or there's no equanimity in the mind, that noticing itself can help, can help bring that factor forward. That's a part of cultivation. So for all of them, that's a way that they can be recognized. By recognizing them, you strengthen them. And also recognizing their absence is interesting because that can help saying, oh, it's not here. What's not here? Can help bring them in. For the first three, there's a bit more possibility of, of bringing them in more actively, especially with investigation. You can actually drop in the question, what is this? What's going on? Having curiosity. So it can be more active to bring in that, that curiosity, that investigation. Another thing that I'd like to mention about the relationship is that the, um, the seven factors are, are, can be thought of as a seesaw, being balanced by mindfulness. So mindfulness is the middle one. And there are three energizing factors, and there are three calming factors. It can go work like this. So the three energizing factors, investigation, which I'll talk about tonight, is an energizing factor, together with energy or virya or interest, 
or effort, as well as joy. Those are the energizing factors. They're kind of bubbly. They, they, they can make the mind bright, and if there's too much of them, they can make the mind a little too agitated. The other three, the calming factors, the three calming factors, being equanim- being a tranquility, pasadi, being concentration, and being and equanimity, upeka. Those three are the uh, the calming factors. So tranquility, concentration, equanimity are the calming factors. So sometimes on retreat, it can happen that the mind can feel really stable, and you've been on retreat for many many days. The mind um, see is is getting concentrated, but then it feels really sluggish. Feels really really sluggish. And that's because the calming factors are becoming a little too heavy and, and out of balance. There's not enough there's not enough of the invigorating factors, energetic factors to make the mind bright. And sometimes you can feel you're being really agitated. There's not enough of the calming factors. The mind is really agitated and you keep asking questions and there's just too much agitation. So these have to be in balance and mindfulness is what balances them like to share those who like uh, the suttas, and I include myself as one, I like to include part of the uh, fire discourse in the Samyutta Nikaya that talks about these factors. Let it wash over you. At such time, monks, and by the way, you're all considered monks because you're practicing this retreat, practitioners, as the mind is sluggish, that is, that is the wrong time to cultivate the enlightenment factor. So here it's re- they're referred to as the enlightenment factor. That is the wrong time to cultivate the enlightenment factor of tranquility, the enlightenment factor of concentration, the enlightenment factor of equanimity. What is the reason? A sluggish mind is hard to arouse by these factors. Suppose a man wants to make a small fire blaze. If he heaps wet grass, wet cow dung, and wet sticks on it, if he exposes it to wind and rain and sprinkles it with dust, can he make that small fire blaze? No, indeed, Lord. Just so, when the mind is sluggish, is the wrong time to cultivate the enlightenment factor of tranquility, equanimity, and concentration because a sluggish mind is hard to arise, arouse through these factors. But practitioners, when the mind is sluggish, that is the right time to cultivate the enlightenment factor of investigation of states, energy, and joy. What is that reason? A sluggish mind is easy to arouse by these factors. And here comes the simile. Suppose a woman wants to make a small fire blaze if she heaps dry grass, dry cow dung, and dry sticks on it, blows on it with his ma- with her mouth, and does not sprinkle it with, with dust, can she make the fire blaze? Yes, indeed, Lord. Dot, dot, dot. A sluggish mind is easy to arouse through these factors. And it goes on to talk about the other factors. So you get, you get the imagery. I, I, I like how in, in the Pali canon, lots of 
interesting imagery is used. You can kind of you can kind of see it clearly, right? You can make a fire blaze if you're thinking about the mind as this bright mind. If it's sluggish, you don't want to to make it even more wet. But I, I want to share the last line of this this sutta with you, which is great. But as for mindfulness practitioners, I declare that is always useful. So no matter whether your mind is sluggish or whether it's it's agitated, mindfulness is always useful. That's how you can tell what what factor you need more of, what factor you need less of. So mindfulness is always useful. So so with that, now getting to investigation. Okay. With all of those previews, now we finally get to the to the feature. Dhamma Vichaya. Dhamma Vichaya has been translated as discrimination of dhammas, truth discerning wisdom, investigation of states, and self-correcting intelligence. There's a beautiful story of how it relates, how important it is with respect to the other factors. And this is from a book called The Questions of King Melinda. It's a famous work of Buddhist literature and it's probably compiled in the first century BC and it presents the Buddhist doctrine in a very attractive and memorable way uh, bet- as a dialogue between the Bactrian Greek king Melinda who plays the devil's advocate and the Buddhist sage Nagasana. So here we go. So here is the king talking to Nagasana. How many factors of enlightenment are there? Seven, O king. By how many factors does one awaken to the truth? By one, investigation of truth, for nothing can be understood without that. Then why is it said that there are seven? Could the sword that is in your sheath cut anything if it was not taken up in the hand? No, venerable sir. Just so, O king, without the other factors of enlightenment, investigation of truth could not awaken to the truth. So this factor of investigation, curiosity, that is the one that awakens to the truth, but it needs all the other factors to support it. It's like you need to take the sword out of the sheath and hold it in your hand, enable it, make it capable of actually doing something, you know, cutting through delusion and waking to the truth. So curiosity, questioning, reflection, inquiry. So reflection and inquiry have slightly different connotations, but for now, for the purposes of this talk, I'll just put them under the same chapter. So, but I, I acknowledge it's a little sloppy and can tease it up later, but for now, just this, this spirit of questioning, this spirit of inquiry. So it's basically a way of asking, what is this? What is going on? What is this? What's going on? What is the nature of what is going on? 
and it's a direct experiencing. It's, it's an experiencing in the body, in the mind directly. It's not, it's not a figuring out in the mind. It's not an intellectual curiosity, like, what is this? What is going? It's not like that. It's, it's, it's an embodied experiencing. Oh, what is this like? What is going on? What, what's happening here? It's different. It's not happening from the control tower of the head. It's actually, it's an embodied investigation. It's an embodied, it's like living the question. It's like living the questions. So that way, it's, it's very close. It's very intimate. Again, it's not intellectual. It's very intimate way of, of being with reality and questioning and being curious about it first person exploring and to to see how things they are and not to assume that you know what's going on even if you think you know what's going on still being curious maybe there's something there you can't quite see what is there what is this this kind of questioning can be applied to so many things so so investigation is really a tool can be an, it can be applied to so many aspects of your experience. In fact, it can be applied to every aspect of your experience and every aspect of the teachings. I'm going to give you some examples. So, the Four Noble Truths some of the very basic teachings or the very basic teaching in Buddhism, the Four Noble Truths. Investigation, Dhamma-vichaya can be applied to that. So let's go through it one by one. The First Noble Truth, suffering. As you're experiencing, as there's a moment of suffering, be curious about it. Be curious about your suffering. As Matthew was saying, he doesn't care about mindfulness. He cares about suffering. Be c- as 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 we sh- we should all care about our suffering. We should be curious about our suffering. What is this thing? What is it like? What does it feel like? What's going on? Where am I caught? Is a question you can ask. Where am I caught? Where am I caught with this? A few days ago, I had to go for a uh, blood draw. I have some. I have a doctor's appointment coming up, and have to do some tests. and And giving blood is not one of my favorite things to do in the world. I don't know if you feel the same way or not, but I don't know. It just feels kind of weird having a needle stuck in me. And uh, anyway, so so um, going to the to the blood draw lab. I'm sitting there and. And, and I guess one reason is I tend to have pretty small veins and in the past it's been hard. They've had to go from this arm to the other arm to the other arm. And it's like, and this time they had to draw like 12 little vials of blood. So I was looking at 12. Oh gosh. Okay. All right. Here we go. So, so my mind was kind of set up for this whole thing not being pleasant. So, and, and the guy was being perfectly nice actually. He was just such a nice guy. Tell you more about him in a moment. So, so here's my hand, here's my arm, and we find an arm that's working and putting the tourniquet on and pumping. Oh yeah, he f- okay, fine. Or there's, there is a vein finally that's happily or finally popping out. So he's putting the needle in, and I realize I'm sitting there and and, and I'm miserable. 
suffering. There's pure dukkha. Like, and then I get curious about it. Like, what is going on? What is this? What is going on? And just as I ask the question, I realize, oh, I'm bracing myself for this to be over as soon as possible. I was just really bracing myself. My, and then I noticed, whoa, my body was tight. My feet were tight. My whole body was tight. And when I noticed that, when I dropped that question in, like, what is going on? I realized I, I didn't have to brace myself. I could just relax. So I took a br- deep breath in. I relaxed. <sighs> and it really wasn't so bad. The sensations. Okay, so the tourniquet was a little tight. Okay, so there were some interesting sensations. There was a little bit of burning. Mm. But it really wasn't so bad. I was just sitting with just these two interesting sensations. And the rest of it was just fine. There was this really, really nice human being taking care of me and giving me instructions, breathe in, breathe out, really nice. Um, it really wasn't so bad. And then my mind thought, oh, okay, can I take it, take it to the next level? Can I start enjoying this? <laughs> and for a moment, there was a delight actually that came in, which is really <laughs> interesting, it was fascinating. The mind started to enjoy being in this chair, giving blood. and the the sensations are actually interesting. I mean, how often do you have some tingling in your face? It was just interesting. So it brought up a moment of delight, whereas a moment ago, it was, if, if I had let it go unnoticed, it was, it was pure suffering. By just dropping in that curiosity, what is this? What is going on? Oh, yeah, I'm bracing myself for this to end as soon as possible. It, that, that was the trick, and it wasn't seen. It just wasn't seen. So be curious about your suffering. What's going on? Where am I caught? What's happening here? And let the question, let the answer arise. Like, oh, wow, look at that. I hadn't seen that before. Isn't that interesting? Does it need to be that way? Is that so? Is that so? So, investigation can be applied to the second noble truth. That in that craving, in that wanting, that there is suffering in that wanting. There are two ways actually that the second noble truth is interpreted. One is that 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 tanha is the Pali word for that craving, for that wanting, that that gives rise to suffering. Another interpretation is that in and of itself, that wanting in that is suffering. The two are kind of intertwined, that wanting something really bad, like, oh, I want this to go away. I want this, you know, blood rot to stop right away. Right in there is the suffering of it. They're not so much separate. So whichever the interpretation, and you can investigate it for yourself. See, maybe sometimes it's one, sometimes another. Or maybe it's both at the same time. Be a scientist of your own mind. Check it out. So you can be curious about that. You can be curious about how wanting 
how wanting something really bad, how that feeling of craving. Again, when I say wanting, we're not talking about wholesome desire. Wholesome desire, wholesome intention is, is a different thing. And there's wholesomeness in that. And we can talk about that later. What I'm talking about is this craving. It's this like, ugh, ugh, really want something so bad. Just, just the mind is hooked on it. It's like the story of, there's this story of um, how um, um, monkeys, um, I think they're, they're the way that uh, a trap uh, can be placed for monkeys is, is if you place, if you, if you take a, um, a big coconut shell and, and put a horizontal slit in it and put something sweet in there, the monkeys will put their hand in there and then they will, they will pick the sweet thing, but they want the sweet thing so bad that they won't let go to get their hands out, to take their hands out. They want it so bad, that sweet thing. Now that's tanha. That, that becomes a trap. And then the, the catchers can come and, and take the monkey. Whereas if they just let go, if they just let go, they could take their hand out. So see, so investigate, investigate that, that tanha, that wanting that's causing the, the dukkha, that's causing the, the being entangled, being the, uh, causing that suffering. Investigation can be applied to the third noble truth. Where is where is freedom? The noble truth of 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 the cessation of suffering. Where is freedom? Is it is it in the opening up and letting go? How is that possible? How can that be achieved in this moment? Is it possible? Having curiosity about it can have curiosity about the fourth noble truth, about the path. What is path? What is not path? The eightfold, no, eightfold noble path. So the inquiry there can be, oh, is this thing that I'm doing right now, does this lead to happiness or unhappiness? It's an inquiry. It's a question. Is this leading to happiness or unhappiness? Investigation can also be applied as a tool to the other, to another um, significant teaching in Buddhism, which is the teaching of the three characteristics of existence, or the three marks of existence. And what are they? Anicca, which is impermanence, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and anatta, not self. So these three are, are known as the, the way things are. They are impermanent. They are impermanent. We all know that intellectually. We know things are impermanent. We, we know they don't last. We know that there is suffering when things are unpleasant. And we know that even in pleasant things, when they go away, there is unsatisfactoriness because that, that pleasant thing didn't last long enough, darn it. And there is dukkha in that, in the pleasant. And then in the anatta, that it's impersonal. We are nature. This body and mind is a process of nature. It's all nature. We take it so personally. And yet, it's nature. 
So the way to apply investigation to these three would be, for the first one, impermanence anicca, is being curious about the arising and passing away. Arising and passing away, being curious about that in a momentary way, noticing when, when anything comes up, when emotions come up, when energies in the mind come up, when anything comes up, when hunger comes up, anything, just noticing the transitory nature, the impermanence of everything that arises and passes away, and having curiosity about it, especially when the mind pronounces, oh, it's going to be like this for the rest of my life, or it's going to be like this for the rest of the retreat. I'm sleepy. Oh, it's going to be like this for the rest of the retreat. Oh, is that so? Is that so? Is that so? Are you feeling the same way you felt an hour ago? Are you feeling right now the same way you felt this morning when you woke up? It keeps changing every moment. Every moment it keeps changing. Be curious about it. That's one of the insights with capital I. Just, it all keeps changing. You don't like your mind state? Wait five minutes. <laughs> You like your mind state? <laughs> Wait five minutes. <laughs> That's the truth of how things are. It just keeps changing. And when you make peace with that, then you have immeasurable peace. Because it all arises and passes away. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of that. It's all fine. You can apply, whoops, You can apply investigation to the second of the three characteristics, dukkha and satisfactoriness. In one way, the first way that you can apply it relates to the, the first noble truth because dukkha is also the, the dukkha, you know, the unpleasant, the, un the suffering. So you can be curious about your suffering. Where am I caught? What is going on? What is this? And in that way, it can be the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. As Ajahn Chah said, I quoted that earlier today in a meeting, that Ajahn Chah says, there are two types of suffering. There is suffering that leads to the end of suffering. Actually, there is, it's the other way around, sorry. There's suffering that leads to more suffering and then there is suffering that leads to the end of suffering. So if you become curious about your suffering, really curious about it, instead of wanting to push it away, make it go away, make it stop, I don't want this, enough of it, make this blood draw go away, then you continue to suffer. But then when you get curious about your suffering, like what is going on? Where am I caught? What is this? What's happening here? It can be the suffering that leads to insight and to the end of suffering. Another way you can, you can apply investigation to, to this second characteristic of dukkha is noticing what is pleasant, actually. Noticing what is pleasant, that what is pleasant also arises and passes away. And not to say not to enjoy the pleasant. Please, 
enjoy, take delight in what is pleasant, but don't get caught in it. Don't get attached to it because that's what will cause the dukkha, will cause the suffering. If you have a pleasant sit, if you have, if or on some previous retreat you had some calm and equanimity and you come on this retreat, oh, I, I so want that pleasant state. You're, you're setting yourself up for dukkha. It's wanting, it's clinging, having an open hand, letting things arise and pass away. Or if you had a good sit this morning, oh, how do I sit? What did I eat? What, why did I walk? Wait, was I like sitting a little to the right or left? Oh, the sun was over here. How can I repeat that? Know that everything arises and passes away. Everything. And that's the biggest lesson of this practice. It's not the pleasant states that will come, will go. I've had plenty of them. They come and they go. They don't stick around. <laughs> but the big lesson is to be, to be okay with that. To be okay with what comes and goes. It all comes and goes. It's this human condition. You can apply investigation to the third characteristic, anatta, or not-self, which is different from no-self. There is no such a thing, no such teaching in Buddhism as no-self. It's sometimes erroneously translated as no-self. Let's set that straight. Buddhism doesn't say there is no self, that you don't exist. That's not the case. There is a relative reality. There is a Nikki here. I have an address. I have a laptop and iPad and all that. And this is a process. It's not self. It's not personal. It's not controllable. It's not me. It's not mine. I take so much possession of all my thoughts, all, all my bodily functions, uh, my, the gurgling of my stomach, the everything I take so much. It's, it's mine, oh my goodness. It's, it's just nature. It's just nature. So many ways to investigate that. Some ways is to ask, who is? And then, who is thinking? Who is walking? Who is angry? Who is? Fill in the blank. Who? Look for that who. And if you find it, let me know. Who? Who is? Sometimes it can be wise to also drop in. Who am I? What am I? What is this? Not expecting an answer, but just dropping the question. Not expecting an answer, but just dropping the question. You can apply investigation to the four foundations of mindfulness, which are the core and basic teaching, which is what we have been instructing you in the morning instructions. Every morning, basically, it's the four foundations of mindfulness instructions that are unfolding day by day. Body, breath, tomorrow, Vedana, our feeling tone, etc. So you can apply it to the first foundation, which is body and the breath. 
we can be curious. We can have a lot of curiosity about the sensations, about the raw sensations in the body. What is going on? What is this? Throbbing, pulling, warm, cold, heat, just all these amazing sensations as if as if you were a Martian that was dropped in this body and you're just discovering this body for the first time. Whoa! How would I write back to my Martian friends what it feels like to be in a human body? It feels pretty amazing. It's actually, it's very curious what it feels, what it really, the sensation, like right now as you're sitting, the sensations of sitting on the chair or the cushion, the feeling of your butt, that hardness. How would you describe that? What does that feel like? The, sen the raw sensations. Noticing something about the way your bottom right now is touching the cushion that you've never noticed before. Maybe, maybe you can notice that in that hardness, there's also softness coexisting with the softness, with the hardness. They're both together. You can feel both hard and soft at the same time. You can feel the heat. Or maybe you feel some tingling, or some movement, or some tightness. Just there's so much to feel in any part of the body. So having curiosity about that, that curiosity can bring up the, those factors, the, the energizing factors I was talking about, can bring that up. You can have curiosity about the energy about about your breathing. You can have a lot of curiosity about the breathing. As Matthew was talking about yesterday, the seven-part breath, there's also the eight-part breath. You can have a lot of curiosity about every step, the beginning of the breath, the, mid, the beginning of the in-breath, the middle of the in-breath, the end of the in-breath, the pause between the in-breath and the out-breath, the beginning of the out-breath, the middle of outbreath, the end of outbreath, the pause between the outbreath and the, every single one you can have. What does that feel like? And you'll discover something you, new you've never discovered before. It brightens your mind. It both calms the mind and brightens the mind with curiosity. There's so much you can learn. You can apply it to the second foundation, which is Vedana feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. What is this? What is pleasant? What is unpleasant? What is neither pleasant or unpleasant? Having curiosity about it. Is the unpleasantness inherent in the object? Is it inherent in the stimulus? Is that sound of the car driving by, is that inherently unpleasant? Or is it that the mind happens to be labeling that unpleasant right now? Maybe the mind would actually label it pleasant because it would 
be a mindfulness belly. We're like, whoa, I was just off in my thought. Oh, thank, thanks to that car, I'm, I'm now back. Oh, that was pleasant. So sounds and other stimulus, stimuli not, are not inherently pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Just how mind treats them. Be curious about that. How is your mind labeling and treating various stimuli? That being said, it's taught in the Abhidhamma that for the five sense doors, for touching, for tasting, smelling, hearing, and and seeing, only the the body sense door can have an inherent vedana unpleasant Vedana inherent in it. All the other sense doors actually don't. It's just how the mind relates to them. Sounds are not inherently pleasant or unpleasant. Sights are not inherently pleasant or unpleasant. And say more about that maybe later. You can apply investigation to the mind states to the third foundation of mindfulness. And in fact, that is known as one way, as the way that this enlightenment factor arises from the Samyutta Nikaya 46.2. And what, practitioners, is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of investigation of states and for the fulfillment by development of the of the arisen enlightenment factor of investigation of states. There are practitioners, wholesome and unwholesome states, blamable and blameless states, inferior and superior states, dark and bright states with their counterparts. Frequently giving careful attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of investigation of states and for the fulfillment of the development of the arisen enlightenment factor of investigation of states. So what does that mean? So there are two things. If there is no investigation already, if you pay attention to your mind state, whether it's it's a wholesome mind state or unwholesome, whether it's a pleasant or an unpleasant one, makes no difference. That brings up investigation. If there's already investigation and you pay attention, you you become more curious about the state of your mind, whether wholesome or unwholesome, that actually, it, it, it makes the investigation stronger. It makes that enlightenment factor stronger, the fulfillment of it. It, it develops it further. So that is actually known. So, um, so Bhikkhu Bodhi, who's, who's a well-known scholar in our tradition, um, comments that simply discriminating between the good and bad mental states uh, to, that become apparent uh, with deepening mindfulness is one definition, one way of uh, developing this, this enlightenment factor of investigation. So just basically go around, going around your day and noticing what's happening in the mind. What is the state of mind? Wholesome state, 
unwholesome state, just noticing what is happening, noticing, being curious about it. What's happening now? What's the state of mind right now? Actually, let's do that. What's the state of your mind right now as you're sitting here? Interested, bored, elated, angry, joyous, whatever it is, just notice it. That's investigation of dhammas. You're developing it right now by noticing your mind state. can apply it to your thoughts. You can be curious about your thoughts, especially if the thoughts are repetitive. And one question you can drop in is, is that so? Especially when the patterns keep coming up over and over and over again. Really? Is that so? Oh, I can't, oh, so I can't meditate. Oh, I'm terrible at this. Oh, really? Is that so? Don't believe your thoughts. Is that so? Is that so? Don't believe your thoughts. Be curious about them. Also about emotions. Emotions are spread over the first three foundations of mindfulness, the first three satipatthanas, because emotions have a physical aspect. They have the body, there's sensation in the body that is felt as part of emotion. There's often a feeling tone as the second aspect, pleasant or unpleasant, with unwholesome uh, emotions, there's often strong, unpleasant associated with it. And then there is the state of mind. There is that energetic state of mind, that like anger is in the state of mind. It's both in the body, it has a vedana, has a feeling tone about it, unpleasant, and it's also in the mind, it's a mind state. So you can apply this investigation to all three. Oh, what, what does it feel like in the body to be angry? What does that feel like? Oh, tingling, hot, unpleasant, ooh, really icky, like, mm, like hurting, ch- chest hurting, f- as if I'm on fire. Wow. So that's investigation. Then you can investigate, well, what does it feel like to be angry? It's really unpleasant. I'm the one who's suffering. Wow, it's really unpleasant. Wow. Check that out. And then the other aspect of it, state of mind. What does it feel like to be angry? Wow, look at all these angry thoughts spewing. Wow, 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 wow. He said this, she said that. This is terrible. Wow, wow, wow. I'm terrible. Wow, look at that state of mind. We can be curious about ourselves. Like, wow, interesting, interesting, interesting with curiosity. So I've shared a lot of different way different aspects of the teachings and your experience you can investigate so the investigation can be um can be indirected can be just whatever can be undirected whatever is in the sphere of your experience whatever is happening just be curious about that it can also be directed um i've taught i've I've, uh, studied with park saida who teaches very directed investigation to very specific dhammas, very specific aspects. Um, And sometimes also in practice meetings, we might suggest specific things for you to investigate depending on where your practice is and how it's unfolding. Otherwise, use your own wisdom. Be curious, first and foremost, about your suffering. That's number one. Be curious about that. And again, I really want to emphasize, if you remember one thing from this talk, is that investigation is not a heady intellectual endeavor. It 
it's not a heady intellectual endeavor. It's a question that you drop into the body. It's a felt sense. You, you, you feel into it, you feel into the question with your whole body, mind and heart. So one thing you can do to close is you can just drop in the question, what is this? What is this? What is this? And wait for the answer to arise. The answer might be, this is delight, this is anger, this is disappointment, this is crankiness, this is hunger, this is peace. Whatever comes up, treat whatever arises as a visiting guest. And then you can drop in the question again and again. What is this? What is this? This is stillness, this is joy, this is not knowing and letting it just be that, whatever is alive in the moment. And not more and more vi- visiting guests, just acknowledge them. Sometimes when the mind is very still and quiet, what is this can feel really heavy-handed. And those times you can simply drop in what? Question mark. Or just question mark. Just like. Just living the question like, what? Hmm. Hmm. Just living the question in the body and see what comes up. I'd like to close with a quote from Rilke. And actually before that, just um, one note is, if you drop the question too frequently, it can lead to agitation. So be... Be mindful of how frequently you drop in the investigation, the questioning. And now, words from Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves. Like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue, do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Let's just sit together for a moment. May you love and live the questions themselves.